just so you guys know, um, the first three rows actually have an inch of extra padding. <laughs> I know it's within spitting distance. I know that you probably see the glint of stuff coming out. So maybe that's why you're that far back. But just so you know, I'm thinking about moving the stage closer. All right. uh, if you've been paying attention to the news at all this week, maybe you saw uh, that uh, on our West Coast, the drought continues, that uh, already in this spring, uh, wildfires are resuming, and it looks to be uh, maybe one of the worst uh, seasons on record in terms of, of fires and uh, and uh, as far as the devastation, destruction um, of, uh, of, of, of land and, and things, and um, it doesn't look like uh, that, uh, that drought is ending anytime soon. Uh, if you've been paying attention to the news, maybe you saw this week that um, the, 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 the war of Russia and Ukraine is, is not uh, going away anytime soon. It seems uh, now that Finland and Sweden may be added to the list of Russian enemies if they join NATO. Maybe you saw this week an alert from the CDC uh, about a new form of hepatitis uh, that's being transmitted uh, through an unknown sort of virus and uh, is going after kids under the age of six. Maybe you saw this week uh, flags uh, lowered to half staff because of the fact that we've reached one million COVID deaths. Uh, maybe these things um, really aren't surprising to you. When you think about uh, this week in the news, really, um, is that sort of different? Is that unexpected? Is that new? Is there anything about what I've just told you that surprises you? And if not, like, why? You know, the reality is, is that humanity, going almost all the way back to the beginning, has faced these, these fears, these, these, well, dominant forces, really, of, of natural disasters, of evil in our world, of uh, sickness and of death. Going back all the way almost to the very beginning, uh, these have been the, the enemies really of humanity that we've sought to, to, to overcome. And, and not only have we not overcome um, all four of them, we haven't overcome a single one of them. And so what will save us from these things? Maybe uh, another question to ask is, are these things the thing to be, things to be afraid of or could there be something bigger and actually something more terrifying than these? Uh, we are in uh, the, the Gospel according to Luke. We've been studying this book since December. Uh, we took uh, some, some time off and, and some breaks here and there to look at other things. We're gonna take another break this fall. Um, we'll, we'll finish the book of Luke this year, but we're gonna take a break this fall and we're gonna do a little mini-series on um, why we gather. You know, why do Christians assemble together? And, um, and really, uh, the purpose of the series is, is I need some help to answer some questions that I don't have answers for right now. And uh, I don't know if you noticed this, but you know, since COVID began, um, tens of thousands of churches have switched to live streams, right? We have a live stream. It's going out right now. Um, that's what started all this. And, and even though we've been gathering together for some time, we continue to do this live stream. And I, I kind of wonder whether we should continue it. I have, I have some doubts. Should we continue doing this? Um, uh, is, it, uh, is it effective at, at, at you know, helping people find us? I don't know. Um, we donate some, some resources to this thing. We have volunteers that are manning it, and, and the question is, should we, should we continue? 
Uh, on the other hand, I recognize that we actually have people who gather with us who come from as far away as Hillsboro. We have people who drive all the way from Wilmington. We have people who come from, from, from Huber Heights. And so part of that sort of says, well, people understand the importance of gathering, so they're willing to drive great distances to do that. But the other thing that, that makes me ask is like, well, why do they have to come so far? Why do they have to come so far? Like, is there something going on in America where you have to drive to great lengths to find that church? I know that churches are closing down, and I know that there are a lot of churches that are staying open that are, are not proclaiming the gospel, that don't preach the holiness of God, our need uh, for salvation. And so uh, then is there this need for churches like ours to reach out to communities not necessarily in a physical way, but by using technology. I mean, is, is there a way? We're a church that believes in multiplication and, and this desire to see the gospel go out. Is there a way to, to utilize technology? I don't have the answers for this, to be honest with you. And, uh, and, and so what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at scripture and we're gonna ask the questions, what is the, the purpose of the gatherings? Why do we gather here together on a Sunday morning, and, and what we come here for and do together and participate in, um, is that limited to us physically being present together? I don't know. Um, but that's not where we're at this morning. This morning we're in Luke chapter 8. And so if you would turn to Luke chapter 8, we're going to begin in verse 22. And uh, I kind of got on a little tangent there. We're, we're, we're focused now. Uh, Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse uh, 22. And uh, we'll dive right in. One day, he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Uh, so today we're going to finish looking at Luke chapter 8. We began uh, looking at this chapter um, last week, and um, this, this whole chapter, really from actually verse 4 on to the end of the chapter, it's really meant to be seen um, as one sort of course that Jesus is teaching us in how to listen and, and obey God's word, understanding the power of God's word and being changed by it. And, uh, and so if you were here last week, the, the main sort of point that we talked about that, that Luke sort of brings to, to the surface is that the lover of God with faith receives the words of God resulting in greater faith that is demonstrated through action. All right? Um, we, we saw Jesus sort of teaching this, this course on what it means to obey and be changed by God's word. And it's a course that begins with a large group lecture. Uh, there's this great crowd of people. They've come to Jesus, and they haven't necessarily come to hear what he has to say, but they have come to see the show, see him heal people, see him cast out demons, to put on a really good show. And so Jesus, knowing that they haven't really come to hear what he has to say, he, he preaches this message that's in the form of a parable. It's, it's an agricultural metaphor that he uses, but he doesn't explain to them. And so there's this large group lecture, the, the crowd leaves, and then Jesus gathers his disciples in sort of this small group discussion forum, and he explains the parable to them. 
And then he expounds on it, and he talks about the one who receives God's word becomes like a lamp, they're like this light that other people can see the truth by. And then there's this interruption. His mother and his brothers show up, and they're waiting for him outside, and he hears that they're there, and he says, who are my mother and my brothers but those who hear the word of God and obey it? So he, he takes advantage of this interruption. He uses it as a sort of teaching moment to, to make this point. Hearing the word of God should produce obedience to God, and that results in a relationship with God. All right? Uh, so now Jesus, he's going to, to take this, this lesson on what it means to hear from God and obey it, and he's going to take it out of the classroom, and he's going to take it into the practical environment. He's going to take it out into the world, and, and through these encounters that Jesus is going to have with these people today, he's going to show his disciples how the word of God is powerful and how it changes things. And so there's really uh, two points that, that I want us to, to see this morning. The first is this, that God's power to save is demonstrated through his word. God's power to save is demonstrated through his word. And we're gonna see this play out in seven ways. And and briefly, here's what they are. One, it's powerful enough to save us from the natural and the supernatural. Two, it's powerful enough to save regardless of race or nationality. Three, it's power to save regardless of age or gender. Four, it's power to save on the way. And I'll explain what that means in depth later. Five, it's power to save regardless of the level of our faith, though some is required. Six, it's power that results in a testimony. And lastly, it's power that brings everyone to their knees. So we'll, uh, we'll look at that. The second main point that I want to get to this morning is that Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is God's power to save. So we'll uh, look at that in a moment. I want to um, uh, stop and pray before we go any further. And I'm going to ask you to pray with me and, and, and pray specifically for two things. Will you pray that God will speak to you? Will you pray that God will speak to you? Uh, maybe uh, you might be here this morning and you would say, I, I don't think I've ever heard from God. Would you pray that God would speak to you? Would you pray that you'll receive what God has to say to you? Oftentimes um, we hear you know, uh, a, a teaching like this and we think to ourselves, man, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. Right? We think about how it applies to somebody else. Would you pray that, that you would be able to hear from God this morning? Um, secondly, would you pray with me that it would make a difference? That it would change us? That we would not just be hearers of, of God's word, that we'd be doers of it, that it, would, that it would impact us in such a way that it not only affects us, but it affects the world around us through us. Would you pray for these, these things with me this morning? Heavenly Father, um, we need to hear from you. We don't need uh, to hear any more wisdom of men. Um, we, don't need to, uh, we don't need to hear from anybody else but you. Your words are the words of life. Um, your gospel is the power to save. And so we need to hear from you. I pray that uh, we will hear from you, um, and I pray that it will make a difference. God, let us be a people who are changed by you, by your word, especially by your son. Holy Spirit, I pray that uh, the words that people hear this morning are yours, they're not mine, and that you would overcome uh, any areas of weakness in me. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So in Luke 8, 22, verses 56, there's these four stories that we're gonna look at this morning. 
And, uh, and, and we're gonna see that God's word is the power to save through these, these four stories. Now, we could look at these four stories um, individually. We could spend the next four weeks examining them one by one. Um, in fact, there's been whole books written on each of these, but I don't think that Luke intends that we look at them individually. I think that he intends us to look at them together as a set. If you examine these stories, as we will today, you're going to see that there are some commonalities and there's some contrasts and there's some comparisons in these stories. And you're going to see the common themes of fear and, and faith and submission and authority and all of these things sort of come together and you get a fuller picture of what Luke is trying to communicate when you take all four of these stories at the same time. And so since there's a lot here, we're going to kind of move a little bit fast and I encourage you that, that after this morning you come back, you read this passage again and study it. There's a lot there. Um, I don't want to, to gloss over anything but I'm just going to pull out some of the relevant things and then we'll tie it all together at, uh, at the end. Um, when you look at your Bibles, you'll notice, like maybe my Bible uh, has, is these, these uh, headings um, over, over uh, individual groups of verses. There's these, these headings. And so in my Bible, at the end of this chapter, it says, Jesus calms a storm. And then there's another heading that says, uh, Jesus heals a man with a demon. And then the third heading said, Jesus heals a, a woman and then Jairus' daughter. There's all these headings and uh, you need to know that those things were actually not written by Luke, okay? Um, those things were, were added by, um, by people later on, just like chapters, uh, chapter numbers and verse numbers, those are all added to help you find things, um, but, but those things weren't, weren't there in the original writings. And because they weren't there in the original writings and we come along afterwards, we sort of divide Scripture up where we think there are natural divisions, and sometimes we get it wrong, Okay? And so again, I want us to see uh, the, the, these, this, this chunk, these four stories, not as different isolated events, but as one sort of thing that is strung together. And, uh, and so we'll begin. Uh, under the heading, Jesus Calms a Store. That's what my Bible says. Maybe yours doesn't, but Jesus Calms a Store. And, and, it, and it begins with the verse, or the words that say, one day he got in a boat. One day Jesus got into a boat, and he told his disciples, we're going to go across uh, the water, uh, he gives them a, a direction, a heading, and then he falls asleep. The, the, this body of water is called the Sea of Galilee. And if you look on a map, you'll, you'll notice the size of this thing is really a big lake. It's not a sea, it's a lake. But it's called a sea because it behaves like a sea. Uh, the Sea of Galilee is located below sea level. And to the north of it, there's this peak called Mount Hermon. And wind comes down off the peak of Mount Hermon. It hits the Sea of Galilee, and it can cause really violent storms. So if you ever go to Lake Erie, would you ever see like eight to 10 foot swells on Lake Erie? Like probably not. But on the Sea of Galilee, it's actually quite common. Violent, violent storms. And so uh, Jesus and disciples, they're in the boat, they're crossing over the Sea of Galilee and one of these storms hits. And Jesus still sleeps. He's still asleep. Now some of these guys in the boat, they're experienced fishermen, they're experienced sailors, so to speak. And, and they handle it just like any sailor would. We're going to die. They go to Jesus, and they say to him, Master, Master, we are perishing. Right? What brave sailors they are. And, uh, and so they wake Jesus up, saying, we're going to die. Jesus wakes up, and it says, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. Now, this, this word uh, rebuked, in Greek, it's uh, epitomao. It means um, basically to, uh, to, to reprove or censure somebody. Now, Jesus rebukes people. 
He rebukes Satan. He rebukes religious leaders. As we'll see in a second, he rebukes his own disciples. But he rebukes people. He censures people. Here, Jesus censures nature. Nature is deaf. Nature doesn't have a will. It doesn't have a mind. It doesn't have ears to hear. And yet, Jesus speaks to it, and it responds. And look at what Jesus says to his disciples next. He says to him, where is your faith? Now, it's not that they have no faith. If they had no faith, they they never would have followed Jesus to begin with. If they had no faith, they wouldn't have gotten into the boat with him. But in the the face of this storm, their their faith seems to just dissipate. Jesus questions that. He now is, is rebuking them like he just rebuked the wind and the waves. Where is your faith? And, and this is the response that we, we, we see. Their response is saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him? Who is this? You see, um, they may know their Old Testament well enough to know that it is with words that God created the universe. It is with a word that God spoke and it came into existence. And here is with a word that Jesus is demonstrating control over creation. They remember maybe from from the Old Testament and and Genesis, the story of Noah, how he was saved over this large body of water, this flood by God. Or maybe how the Israelites were saved through another body of water from the Egyptian army and how Jesus is saving them on this body of water. Who is this that the wind and waves obey him? And it says next that, that fear comes upon them. They were terrified of the storm, but, but they're more scared now because they've come to the realization that what is in the boat with them is more terrifying than the storm they just went through. Who is in the boat with them is bigger and more powerful than the storm that they just faced. And so... The boat lands. They get to their destination. In verse 26, it says, Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. Uh, that side of the lake is, is not occupied by Jewish people. It's occupied um, by, by Gentile people. And you know that because they're raising pigs to eat. Right? Definitely not kosher. This is an area of Gentiles. These people are not God-fearers. They're not Yahweh worshipers. Uh, They are not uh, Jesus's people, and yet he goes to them. So uh, he's greeted by this man who is naked and appears to be out of his mind. Uh, This is a man who not only is demon-possessed, he's possessed by many demons. We find that out in this this exchange where the name of of this individual is mentioned as legion. It's a a, a number uh, of a a certain large group, a military uh, uh, group, and he's full of demons. Let's just say it's not just a handful of, of demons. Like he is full of like an army of demons inside of him. And he's been driven out of his home. He's been sort of sent into exile because they tried to bind him, they tried to chain him, and he would always break these bonds. So he's driven out, he's naked, he's being tormented, he's living in in, in tombs, and he comes to Jesus, and this is what we see. When he saw Jesus, verse 28, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. This is the demon speaking, right? 
Notice they come to Jesus and they fall down before Jesus. Now, the disciples just ask the question, who is this? And the demons just answer the question, Jesus, the son of the most high God. They recognize who he is. They fall down at his feet in submission to him. In submission to him. Um, there, there is not just a created material world. There is also an immaterial spiritual world, both created by God, both created to worship God. But part of that spiritual world, part of these angelic beings rebelled against God, went to war against him, and as a result of that, their doom is already sealed. They're, they mentioned there's an, an abyss they, they know that they're destined for, and they beg Jesus not to send them to the, the abyss. In other words, there's a spiritual realm which God himself is still in charge of. And, and Jesus is, is in charge of. And you know this because they bow down to Jesus. They submit to him, and they beg him not to send them into the abyss. And so Jesus gives them what they ask for. He gives them permission to go into this herd of pigs that's grazing on the hillside. And he does that in order to put on display for us and for his disciples what the intent of these demons really are. He's putting on display for us what was going on inside of this man. These demons rush off the hill over the cliff into their death. These demons kill all of these pigs because that's what demons are intent on doing. Jesus tells us in John 10, the enemy comes to kill and destroy. He's putting on display for his disciples what kind of torment this man was experiencing because of the possession of these demons. How awful is it? Could it, could it be for all of these, these somewhat powerful beings to try to get you to kill yourself? That's what he faced. So, the people who uh, witnessed this, uh, so the herdsmen witnessed what, what Jesus does. They go back to the city. They tell the leaders. The leaders come out, and here's what they find. They find this man um, in his right mind, clothed and seated at the feet of Jesus. They're seeing a picture of this calm that Jesus brings to this man, and they're terrified. And what they want Jesus to do is to get as far away from them as possible. Who is this that legions of demons obey his commands? Who is this who sets free somebody that we could not control, who was so violent we could not bind him, we could not chain him, we, we could do nothing but exile him? Who is this that has this kind of power to cast out that kind of evil? And instead of desiring to know him, they desire to get as far away from him as possible. Now these that this man has the opposite perspective. It says there that, that he begs Jesus to stay with him. Instead, Jesus sends him home. He sends him home with the instructions, go tell what God has done for you. And so it says in verse 39, he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Not only does he go home, he goes to the whole city and proclaims what Jesus has done for him. Well, uh, Jesus gets back in the boat, and he and his disciples return to the other side. This is one of the ways that you kind of know that all these stories are connected, is that there's this, this traveling experience. There's a going out, and there's a coming back. And so as he comes back, the crowds are, are waiting for him, and in verse 41, we read this. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, 
And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, then there's another interruption. Now, um, Luke is, is meaning for us to see a parallel between this interruption and the interruption that happened before. Jesus is, is teaching on what it means to hear from God, being changed by the, the power of his word, and his mother and his brothers show up, and, and who does he say? What he say? Who is my mother and my brothers but those who hear the word of God and obey it, right? Hear the word of God and do it. So here's another interruption, and it's gonna point back to this. I'm gonna just read it to you, verses uh, 42 through 48. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she, was tr she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Uh, so just to sort of you know, retell what, what happens here, uh, this woman is as, as a type of hemorrhage of a, a gynecological uh, order. Um, this would make her unclean in the eyes of the people. She would be an outcast, uh, much like the guy we just read about who was demon-possessed. Um, she would have been a person who lived in, in utter isolation from other people. Uh, it says that uh, she had spent all of her money all of her living on trying to be healed. She went to doctor after doctor after doctor to no avail. She was not healed. And so she goes to Jesus and she touches his garment and Jesus feels power go out of it. Now, think about this. Jesus, he's fully God, but he's also fully man. Jesus is not magical, right? Like his, his garments, right? They're not like a wizard cloak. He's not magical. And so other people probably brushed up against him, and they didn't have so much as a zit healed. And yet this woman intentionally reaches out, and she takes hold of healing without permission from him. She takes healing by faith. And Jesus then commends this faith. But I want you to notice, he calls her daughter. Remember the previous interruption. Who is my family, Jesus essentially says. Those who hear the word of God and do it. And here he's calling this, this woman his daughter. Because she, she's reaching out for the word of God and she's letting it change her. That makes her part of the family of God. And her faith is, is commended. That's part of the reason we also know that these four stories are, are, are all meant to be together. Because she, her faith contrasts the faith of the, the faithlessness of the disciples earlier. And so, uh, she's healed. But this interruption might uh, have, have delayed Jesus enough uh, so that Jairus' daughter dies. Look at verse 49. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. And Jesus, knowing the grief that Jairus is experiencing, he turns to him and says, don't be afraid. Just believe your daughter will be healed. Now they go to, uh, to, to Jairus' house and what they find outside is some mourners. And interestingly enough about this culture, mourners were people who were paid 
to lament in public in order to bring attention to the grief that's going on. But, but, but don't let the irony of, of what happens next escape you. Jesus comes and he says, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. And the mourners, people who are paid to cry, laugh. They laugh at Jesus. So Jesus takes his three disciples and, and the, the girl's parents and goes up to her room and he says to her, child, arise. And he takes her hand and he pulls her up. Death, just so you know, is, is just as deaf as nature. If, if you've been to a funeral, if you've seen someone laying in the casket, have you spoken to them? Right? Deaf is death. Death is deaf. Excuse me. Like a, a dead person can't hear you. And yet the word of God, Jesus speaking, is him reaching beyond death and pulling her back into life. Who is this that can speak to a dead person and bring them back to life. Now what's interesting about all this and sort of makes us scratch our heads a little bit is that he then turns to the girl's parents and he says, I don't want you to share this story. I don't want you to tell people about what I've done. And that's to contrast with what happened with the, the demoniac. He actually is told to go and tell. His parents here are told not to go and tell. Why? Well, this goes back to what Jesus taught at the beginning of the chapter. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But there are, there are certain people that won't hear the truth of God. And this will be like a great story for people to tell about how this guy raised a girl from the dead. But if it doesn't lead to people coming to Jesus, then what's the point? And so they're not to tell. And so from these four stories, we, we see God's power to demonstrate it, God's power to, to save is demonstrated through the word of God. And here's seven ways I, I wanna draw this out. Here's the first one. God's word is powerful enough to save from the natural and the supernatural. God has not only created the material universe. He's not only created the physical. He's not only created beings that live and breathe. He has also created the immaterial. He's created the spiritual. He has created angelic beings, some of which who have rebelled against him. But they're all created. God has power and dominion over all that he has made. That includes the spiritual realm. That includes demons and Satan. He's still the most powerful. God's powerful enough to save from natural and supernatural. Secondly, it's, God's power is powerful enough to save regardless of race or nationality. Jesus goes to a Gentile area. He goes to a group of people who are not like him. He saves one of them and then commissions him to tell everybody else about him. God's desire is that the world would know who he is. Third, his power to save regardless of age or gender. It's not a coincidence that in this section of scripture we see Jesus heal a man, then a woman, then a child. Regardless of gender, regardless of age, his is the power to save. Fourth, it's power to save on the way. And here's what I mean by that. Jesus is on the way from one side of the lake to the other when they encounter the storm. The storm is opportunity for him to teach his disciples who he really is. It's on the way from A to B that God teaches us. 
It's not a coincidence that Jesus is on the way from the boat to Jairus' house, that he's interrupted by this woman with the bleeding disorder, and he heals her. You see, this is discipleship. This is what it looks like for, for Jesus to train us in the way of following him, is that he interrupts us on our way from A to B in order to show us the power of his word. Next, it's the power to save regardless of the level of our faith. The disciples, if the faith was there, it was transparent. It was not much. But Jesus saves. For this woman, her her faith is powerful, and it's commended, and Jesus saves. I want to be careful here, but Maybe some of you have, been, have heard this, that you prayed for something and God didn't give you what you asked for. And maybe that was prayer for healing for, for someone that you loved, maybe you were for yourself, but you prayed for something and, and what you prayed for didn't happen and somebody told you, well, you don't have enough faith. I want you to know that that's not the case. Faith is, is not a tool to manipulate God. Faith is not a tool that you use to get God to do what you want. Next, it's a power that results in a testimony. This man um, is seated at the feet of Jesus and he wants more than anything to be with Jesus, but Jesus sends him with his testimony. Go home, tell your family about what God has done for you. And what happens, he doesn't just go home, he goes into his his whole city to proclaim what Jesus has done for him. This woman, she didn't expect her testimony to be heard. She comes up to be healed by Jesus and she didn't even want Jesus to know. But Jesus knows the power has gone out of him. He turns to the crowd. He knows who it is that's touched him and he's calling her out. He's calling her forward. He wants her to, to share. See, here's a woman who was at one point full of shame because of what had been going on in her life and because of her illness. And yet, because of what she experiences through Jesus, she's healed and she's rescued. And she now has a testimony to share with other people and she shouldn't be ashamed of it. The reality is, is if if you are in Christ, you have a testimony. You have been saved. Your greatest spiritual need has been met and you should tell people about it. People should know your story. You should have a testimony. Lastly, it's power that brings everyone to their knees. You know, when you go back later today, and I know you will, you're going to read through this and you're going to see a bunch of people on their knees in front of Jesus. Now, we infer that from the first story because you don't stand up in a boat that's in a storm. Right? But the rest of the stories, you see somebody falling down on their knees before Jesus. With the case of this woman, she comes and, and she, she admits she's reached out and taken this faith. She's, she, she's come to Jesus and, 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 and she's, she's coming to him with, with love and with gratitude for the healing that she, she has. She's coming with a soft heart. She's coming with a heart of, of faith. But yet you contrast her with these demons and they're coming and they're falling down at the feet of Jesus too, but there's no love in their hearts for Jesus. There's just terror and fear of the impending doom and judgment that they know is coming from Jesus. See, the reality is, as we talked about this in previous weeks, 
that all of us will have this face-to-face encounter with Jesus, and all of us will bow down before him. The question is, is when we come, do we come and bow down before him with a soft heart that's filled with love and gratitude and thanksgiving for the salvation we receive from him, or do we come with a mocking spirit like those, those mourners, or do we come with this terrorized spirit like the, the people in the, the land of the, the Gerasenes? Like, do we come like these demons who are just terrified of the judgment that's, that's coming at us, how will we come and bow before him? Will it be terror or will it be holy fear? You see, fear in the Bible is, is a worship word and it can mean terror or it can mean worship. Will we come with worship or will we come with, with, with fear? The last point is this. Jesus is the word of God. We just talked about the fact that God's power to save is demonstrated through his word. I want us to understand that Jesus is that word. Jesus is God's power to save. Um, when we began this morning, we, we, we talked about um, these, these four sort of fears that we have. Uh, of, of natural disaster or uh, evil in our world or sickness or death. And these are things that we try as we might, we have not been able to overcome as, as humans. And, and I want us to see something in, in this passage. Here these disciples, they encounter this, this natural phenomenon of wind and, 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 and big waves and Jesus calms them, and their response to, to that is, who is this who commands the wind and the waves and they obey? Who is this? And it's this understanding that there, there is something in the boat with them, someone in the boat with them, that is more powerful than nature. Right? We, we see with the, the demonized man, there's, there's somebody present who is more powerful than an army of demons. With the sickness, we see that there's someone here who is more powerful than, than 12 years of doctors. With the raising of this girl from the dead, there's somebody here who has, has the power to reach into death and bring forth life. There's somebody here who is more powerful than these things, right? Now, you think about the dystopian books and, and, and movies that we see out there. According to these books and movies, how does the world end? Natural disaster. Anybody think of one? It's okay, you can shout. Asteroid, main one, asteroid, Armageddon, right? Movie Armageddon, some of you, that's a whole movie. Natural disaster, that's how the world's gonna end. Um, Or evil. An evil calamity like nuclear war. How about sickness, right? Anybody watch any good plague movies lately? Death, human death, like that the, the humanity will just wipe itself out or that we'll, we'll finish the end of our evolutionary journey or this, whatever. But see, there's this, this fear that humanity has that we're not able to, to overcome these powers. What if these powers are not the most significant force in the universe? What if the terror that we should worry about isn't nature, it isn't uh, sickness, it's not death, and it's not evil. What if the biggest threat to humanity is actually God? 
a force so powerful and strong that he can obliterate all those other things. You see, for some of you, you're asking threat. For some people, yes. He is either our greatest threat or he's our greatest need. He's more powerful than anything that we fear in the news. The truth is, though, we don't put our hope in him. We live in a world that puts hope in humanity itself. That more and more there is this this lie that's permeated that we'll find the answers to all natural disaster if we just come together and think hard enough on it. We'll we'll develop uh, seeds that are drought resistant. We'll come up with ways of of warning systems to get people evacuated from areas where there's an impending natural disaster coming. We'll we'll think hard enough on it. We'll come together and and we'll we'll put enough human brain power to it and we'll solve this problem. And when it comes to evil in in the world, we'll we'll solve that problem too. And we'll have uh, unified organizations like NATO and, and, and we'll... We'll come together and we'll build bigger bombs so we'll kill the bad guys and they won't be a problem anymore or however it works out. But we'll overcome. When it comes to sickness, we'll find the vaccines, we'll find the cures, we will end the problem of human illness. Because we have the medical technology, we we have the know-all, we have the power, we can solve the problem of death, we can prolong life. Like we look, when you look at all those dystopian movies, right, where is salvation always found? It's found in us. And it's a lie that goes back to the garden when, when Satan told our first parents, did God really say? And when he went after that truth that you can be God and that you can be worshiped and that you can have the power, The truth is that 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 hope that we place in ourselves will ultimately be dismantled and disappointed. And let me ask you, like when your friend, when your neighbor, when your coworker thinks that, that, that their hope is found within themselves, when that disappoints them, when calamity strikes, when death shows up on their door, when evil takes their child, when illness takes their spouse, when they, when they get the, the, the news that somebody that they cared about has died unexpectedly, when hope in humanity fails, will you be there with the hope of Jesus? Will you be prepared to, to share or give an answer for the hope that you have in Jesus? Because there's, there's a bigger force in the universe. There's a bigger power And the reality is, is he'll either be our biggest threat or he'll be the answer to our biggest need. What is he for you? What will he be for them? As we begin to wrap this morning, I, um, I want to partake of, of communion together by looking at uh, the, this demoniac individual, the guy who had a legion of demons cast out of him. And I want to remind you that When you take that piece of bread this morning, that bread symbolizes the presence of God. Jesus said, the night before he was killed, this is my body given for you. This is my body given for you. Jesus gives us himself. He gives us of his presence. Before he ascended into heaven, 
He told his disciples, giving them the great commission, lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. We are given his spirit to live in us. But if you are in Christ, and Christ is in you, you have the presence of God. And I want you to reflect on the words of this man. As he sat at the feet of Jesus, he begged Jesus to stay with him. He begged Jesus to stay with him. Do you feel that way about Jesus? That you want to be in his presence? So often, like, we want the power of God. We want to see it on display. We want to experience the power of God. We want to, to, to see it go out at, at work against justice or, or against injustice or against all these things. Like, we, we, we want the, the benefit of God's power. We want an eternity in heaven. Like, we want, we want all these things. But, but the question is, do we want Jesus? Because he is the power of God. You want to experience the power of God. You cannot experience the power of God apart from Jesus. Do you want Jesus? When it comes to the cup, Jesus said that it signified a new covenant because of the pouring out of his blood. A new relationship that gets established between you and God the Father as he makes peace for you. Because Jesus lived the life that you couldn't live and he died the atoning death that you couldn't pay He exchanges his righteousness for your sin and because of his blood poured out, you get to walk boldly into the presence of God. You have a new relationship with God and that should be news worth telling. And so when you partake of that cup, ask this question of your heart. Not only do you want Jesus, but do you want to tell people about Jesus? Do you want to tell people about Jesus? This man had a testimony. He had a story to share and he wanted to share it. When you partake of communion, will you think about these things? I'm gonna pray, and in a moment, uh, Ryan's gonna come and sing, and you have time to reflect. There is no rush. Deal honestly with your heart. Deal honestly with God. And the truth is, is if you find this morning that you don't want Jesus, you can pray that God would change that. You can ask him to change your desire. You can ask him to change the affections of your heart. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for for sending your son to communicate to us exactly who and what you are. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming and showing us the Father. And not only did you live a life that pointed to what what you're like and what you are, you lived a life that could be exchanged for ours. And you died a death that took our place. And you rose again to lead the way for us to new life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the sacrifice that you made. Jesus, I pray that we would want you I pray that you would fill our hearts with affection toward you. You loved us first. You sacrificed first. You laid down your life first. Forgive us for the times that we use your word like a magical incantation to try to manipulate you. Forgive us for the times that we try to to use what you've said in order to get you to do what we want you to do. Forget us, forgive us for wanting heaven without you. 
I pray that we would want you. And I pray that we would be a people that wants to share you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.